Good morning. Oh, you guys are acting like there's an election on Tuesday. Good morning. Good to see you today. We're glad you're here this morning. Welcome home, Columbus. I know many of our college students are visiting over there today. Welcome home to those. Welcome to those that are at home, watching from home. Welcome to home to all of you. We're excited today. I believe God wants to speak to our hearts this morning. Before we get into today, I want to just celebrate. Many of you know that we did. We do trunk and treats every year, and this year we partnered with the community um, and, and having trunk and treats not at our uh, address but at the park and. And so we had close to a thousand cars come through. Uh, it backed up all over the place. So it was just a great opportunity to be with, with uh, the community. Thank you to those that participated. Thank you to those that, that donated candy or food. And we appreciate that. And we, what an opportunity we had to just to, to love on some people this year. We've been in a series called Kingdomize. And we've been saying that this series is about the lifelong pursuit of seeing as Jesus sees. Let's say that in both locations today. The lifelong pursuit of seeing as Jesus sees. And over the course of this series, we've talked about how it's sometimes it's easier for our human eyes to see fear than it is to trust God in faith. And as we talked about that, we've talked about a ton of different topics that uh, the Bible talks about that, want, that God wants us to see through kingdom eyes. And today, we're going to be talking about, obviously, the elections coming up, and we're, having, we're voting on Tuesday. And so today, as we think about pursuing and seeing things through Jesus' eyes, how do we see the Lamb of God, the elephant, and the donkey through the eyes that Jesus would have us to see? So today's message is called, The Lamb, the Elephant, and the Donkey. So I realize today's topic, as we talk about politics, is a very tense topic. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Kind of a somber amen. Amen. This is, this is a tense topic for many people. And the reality is this morning, regardless of how you, you're going to vote, there is someone probably in this room or online who has a different perspective than you do, and they're going to vote differently than you do. And when this election is decided... There's going to be people that are happy, people that are angry, people that are sad within just probably this congregation, but in the world in general. So as we think about that today, and we think about kingdom eyes, kingdom eyes see that politics shouldn't be filtered through the elephant or through the donkey, let's finish it church, but through the lamb, through the lamb of God. So this morning, as we get into how God would have us to see, how God would have us to vote, if he would have us to vote a certain direction, how God would have us to look at, at what's going on our, in our world, are we filtering it through our politics? Are we filtering it through the fact that as believers, we're kingdom people? Because the reality is this morning, we follow the lamb, not the elephant or the donkey. Amen? Amen. We follow the lamb. But this morning, I want to just start off today with just a kind of little bit of a humor this morning. You know, there's five types of voters. Uh, for those of you who are new this morning, we don't normally talk politics, but with the election coming up, uh, we're tackling that today. But there's five types of voters out there, okay? All right? This is either going to be funny or bomb. I don't know which. And if it's bombs, I'll just say, okay, moving right along. Okay, you have the opinionated voter. All right, the opinionated voter. I already know who I'm voting for. And let me tell you who you should vote for, all right? We have those people. 
Okay, you have the private voter. Some of us are the private voters. I already know who I'm voting for, and I'm not saying who I'm voting for. Okay, some of us are that way. We have the early voter. The early voter has already voted. Okay, you, you, maybe you were at home and you voted, or some of you that are here today, you've already voted. You went down, I think, in Pittsburgh, you can go down to the Homer building, and you maybe already voted, or you, you voted via, the, via mail or whatever, but you've already voted. Then you have the undecided voter. I still don't know who I'm voting for. Do I have any other options? Okay, that's the undecided voter. And then you have the tired of political ads voter. This voter is completely informed about Roger Marshall and Barbara Boyer because their mailbox, their email, their text, their TV and doors have been filled with this for months. They already, they're ready to vote because they just want the ads to stop. Okay? Nervous laugh. So at least some of you thought that was funny today. But the reality is today, um, you know, I'm sure every generation could say this, but in our generation, it does seem like our world and our country is more divided, not just by politics, but by COVID, by, through relationships, all kinds of different things that the enemy wants to divide us around. And this morning, this message is directed towards the church and what God would have us as believers to come together on and come together about. So this morning, I want to talk to you for just a minute before we get into some other things about things that regardless of who you're voting for, that aren't going to change after the election. If whoever you want to, to, to get voted in doesn't get voted in, there are some things that regardless of who gets voted in that aren't going to change. Things that won't change regardless of who wins the election. Say that with me. Things that won't change regardless of who wins the election. Here's the first one. God's sovereignty isn't impacted by the outcome of this election. If, if we're like, what's God's sovereignty? What is sovereignty? Sovereignty is simply supreme power and authority. God's, God's supreme power and God's authority isn't impacted by this election. Can I get an amen at home today? Amen. That's the truth today. Now, we need to know that today because for some of us this morning, regardless of which way you're voting, there's going to be people when this election is over that are going to be angry, sad, disappointed, frustrated. And we need to remember today that if that group is a group that you're in, that God is still in control. He has not lost control. And it's so easy sometimes in life, whether it's politics or something else, for the here and now to overwhelm us. And, you know, we've all heard the term, we can't see the forest because of the... We can't see God's big plan because of the election or the results of the election. But the reality is God's sovereignty is not impacted. For those that are full of fear today or next week or whenever... God's sovereignty isn't impacted by the election. He is still in control. Listen to 1 Chronicles 29. Everything in the heavens and on earth is what, church? Talking about God. O Lord, and this is your kingdom, God's kingdom. Another thing that I think it's important for us to understand, regardless of who wins the election, and probably most of us are kind of tired of it, over it, ready for it to be over, but the reality is today, God's love for people isn't going to be impacted by the outcome of this election. 
In fact, I'm pretty sure, okay, that's sarcasm. I'm pretty sure that John 3.16 is not going to change regardless of who wins the election. For God so loved the world. Say that with me. The world. Why doesn't it say for God so loved the United States? I mean, obviously the world includes the United States. We have missionaries, just our denomination, in 162 or 63 world areas. Why? Because God loves them too, amen? Amen? Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. That is not changing, aren't you glad? Depending on who wins the election. The Bible doesn't talk about world peace. It talks about having peace with our neighbor, but it, it, it says in this world you're going to have troubles and trials, and troubles and trials obviously aren't, aren't world peace. The Bible doesn't talk as much about world peace, but the Bible is very specific and straightforward about inner peace. And inner peace that the Holy Spirit provides isn't impacted by the outcome of this election. You ever been through something really tough? And you just felt the Lord just holding you, like say you're going to preach on an election or something? <laughs> we need to know today that while the Bible doesn't promise world peace, world, I mean, heaven will be complete peace. But in this world, we, have, we will have trials and troubles and tribulations. But Jesus says, despite those trials and troubles and tribulations, and whoever we don't want to get elected maybe gets elected now or four years from now or eight years from now or 12 years from now or whenever, whether there's COVID or there's no COVID where we've lost a job, whether there's a relationship that's strained, whether something in your life isn't exactly how you want it to be, whether it's ideal or you're just dealing with what's real. The truth is inner peace that the Holy Spirit provides through a relationship with him. I'm talking to the church today. Sometimes we'll target people, you know, who, who aren't church because we want them to know God's love today. The message is customized for believers this morning because we are full of fear as believers in our country. I'm not saying you are. I'm not speaking specifically about our church, but when you talk to the average person, you're not always here in faith. You're here in fear. And we need to be reminded today that inner peace is possible through the Holy Spirit today, regardless of who wins the election. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Now listen to this sentence. This is, this is the deal, okay? You ever seen someone who's been through a horrible tragedy and they just have this godly perspective? Why is that? Because the peace that God gives doesn't give the same way that the world gives. The world gives peace based on outer peace, that everything in the world externally is at peace. And if everything on the outside isn't at peace, then we can't be at peace. And Jesus said, no, 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 I didn't come that everything would be perfect in the world. I came so that you could have peace in your heart through salvation. If you're looking for the circumstances in your life and in your job and in your family and in the world to be perfect, you're always going to be in turmoil. 
Because you're imperfect, and you're imperfect, and you're imperfect, and I'm imperfect. But we serve a perfect God, amen? And his peace, his peace guards our heart, and it passes all human understanding. Some of you are thinking, why are you stating obvious things? Because sometimes they're not as obvious as we think they are. Regardless of who wins the election, God's still going to build his church, amen? God is going to continue to build his church. God is building his church in countries where churches are having to meet in in seclusion and and in hiding because if, if they're caught, you know, they'll be martyred, they'll be killed. I mean, God is continuing to build his church all around the world. And let's be honest, there's probably more of a revival taking place in some world areas where it's dangerous than there is here in the United States where we have all these freedoms. It, what I'm getting at is God is going to build his church regardless of who wins this election, who wins the next election, regardless of what's going on in this world. God is going to build his church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And the powers of hell will not conquer it. Kind of, you know, you got that, that hat that's one size fits all. Jesus' statement kind of goes for COVID. It goes for elections. It goes for trials. It goes for troubles. It goes for boredom. It goes for tragedy. It goes for whatever's going on. God will continue to build his church. Have you ever been somewhere before and you heard a mom or a dad tell their kid, we don't act like that. You know better than that. The reminder for us today is that as Christians, our citizenship is still in heaven despite the outcome of the election. And I think today that God wants to remind us we aren't from here. Our citizenship is where, church, It's in heaven. Uh, Yesterday, I got a a call that maybe some of us have gotten in in our life where someone really close to me passed away very unexpectedly. This person loved the Lord completely and fully. Fully. And he's not worrying about an election today. He's walking streets of gold. The Bible says that our life on earth is but a vapor. In fact, the quickest way I can explain that is if it's cold outside, and we've all done it, you go outside and you blow your breath, you'll see your breath, and then it's gone. Life on earth is that fast. We are called as believers to be good stewards. I know in our culture today, they're saying, not because I know it, just research says that millennials in general are just saying, I don't want to vote. I don't want to participate. And I realize that everybody has a right to their opinion. But while we're here, while we're here for the vapor, we're called to be stewards. We're called to engage. We're called to to be involved. We're called to, to struggle for God's kingdom and to vote according to what we feel God's principles are. And we work that out through salvation and trembling. 
But we are to be reminded today that our citizenship is not here. And if you are a believer today and you call yourself a believer and you have Jesus inside of your heart, you need to know today that we need to be more concerned about our soul and the souls of other people than we are who wins this election. Paul, he's writing to Philippi, and he's reminding them similarly to maybe other pastors. I would assume that probably half the churches today are preaching on this topic, I would assume. And maybe there's other pastors that are saying this the same way that Paul wrote to Philippi and said, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting the outcome of this election. Oh, it doesn't say that. And we are eagerly awaiting, let's finish it, for him to return as our savior. All of us are, are curious and maybe eager for this election to come and go and and, and we have strong opinions about that, and I get that eagerness. But if our eagerness for the things of this world outweigh our eagerness for the next life, then I don't know that we're reading this very well. I say that to myself. I say that to all of us today. Life is so fragile. We all know someone who's died unexpectedly. You just talk to them, and they're no longer here. Eternity, it's hard for my brain to understand because I think in terms of math and numbers, as we all do, is infinite. It's it's forever. So as we think about any topic, today it happens to be politics, but any topic, are we filtering it through the kingdom of God? Are we filtering it through the kingdom of this world? When it comes to politics, are we seeing through our eyes or kingdom eyes? As I mentioned earlier, we don't always naturally see the way that we're supposed to see. The other day, one of my kids accidentally elbowed me in the head. I wish that I could tell you I had kingdom eyes when I responded to them. But I had kingdom eyes later when I apologized for how I responded to them. We don't naturally see through kingdom eyes all the time. I don't care who you are. You are not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. We don't always see through kingdom eyes. We see through our eyes. That's our human nature. And Jesus died so that we could see through his eyes. He was crucified physically so that our sinful nature could be crucified spiritually. So that we could see faith instead of fear. We could see love instead of hate. We could see tense things like politics through God's perspective rather than through human perspective. And if you want to know the truth today, some of the rights and freedoms that we are concerned about 
or maybe aren't as high on God's priority list of rights and freedoms. And before everybody throws tomatoes, let me tell you what I mean. When it comes to rights and freedoms, it is important to understand which rights and freedoms mattered the most to Jesus. So let's look at a couple. Do you think God is more concerned about the right to bear arms? I'm, I'm for that. I have a shotgun. I go out and, you know. Do you think God's more concerned about the right to bear arms or the right to become a child of God? Church? Oh, you're, you're not for right to bear arms. That's not at all what I'm saying. But if you were to prioritize those as a believer, without your political eyes on, he, did he come to earth for that, or did he come to earth to be, for you to become a child of God? Take freedom of speech for an example. It's a great thing. That's why I'm allowed to stand up here and talk about something. That's a wonderful thing. It's a free country. I can stand up at a ball game and say things I shouldn't say spiritually from the, at some referee from the top of my lungs, and I don't go to jail. I might just be asked to leave the court. <laughs> but if I have kingdom eyes on, and, I, and the Bible is ahead of what freedom of speech says, there are times where God will censor my tongue, Right? Does that mean you're not for free speech? Of course not. But what we have to understand is, which one's the priority? Jesus didn't come for freedom of speech. It's a great thing. He came for freedom over sin through Jesus Christ. Amen? We can gain and accomplish freedom of speech, and people can still die and be lost in their sin. And if we're studying Jesus, again, and not the elephant, and not the donkey, if, if I'm less concerned about saying things to make you happy so after this is over, you're not upset at me, if I actually would, would like, what did Jesus say? Jesus, when it's talking about rights, Jesus, what did Jesus do with his divine privilege right? It says he gave it up. Jesus gave up his divine privilege light, right so that we could have the right to what, church? Become children of God. The other day we ordered some chicken marys and it came back in these dishes, side dishes. And man, their chicken marys has good mac and cheese, okay? And I didn't have any and neither did my youngest son and he's like, I haven't had any yet. And I had to decide, am I going to give up my right for that mac and cheese? <laughs> am I going to give it to him? So I looked at him and said, that's tough, buddy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, we'll have to wrestle for it. Of course he ate the mac and cheese. Now, because we didn't have the divine privilege rights... It's easy for us to just kind of let that go. But think about that. You are Jesus. You're God. You don't have to subject yourself to crucifixion. You don't have to subject yourself to suffering. You don't have to subject yourself to people hurling insults at you. 
And you certainly don't have to go through all the, the pain that sin and the consequences that go with it. And Jesus gave up that divine privilege right. Listen to what Paul says. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as what, church? A human being. Why? Why? So that all who believe in him and accept him can now have the right to become children of God. Our Christian nation, our country, was, was founded on Christian principles. We're thankful for the people, the men and women who serve for our country. Amen? Thankful. We're thankful for freedom of speech. We're thankful for the right to bear arms. We're thankful for all these things, the right to vote. We're thankful for those things. But we also have to remember sometimes that with those freedoms come great responsibility And with those freedoms, at times, those things can almost become more of a priority than they should in our lives. We start to worship those things. We can almost worship good things. You know, we always talk about worshiping bad things. Did you know your your children are a good thing? I like my kids. I love them and I like them, but I'm not supposed to worship them, right? Right? Who am I supposed to worship? God. It's hard sometimes, isn't it, to think about that? But Isaiah says, my thoughts, talking about God, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything that you can imagine. What's that mean? It means God doesn't always share our perspective on everything. You know, Scripture also says, again, going back to God's Word, that sometimes it's hard to trust our heart. In fact, it says that sometimes our heart can be deceitfully wicked, that we can't always trust it. Have you ever been too emotional and and said or done the wrong thing or know somebody who has? You've heard people say, I need to calm down first. Why? Because sometimes my thoughts are not like God. Jesus says that we can attain the worldly possessions and we can gain, he says, the whole world. Solomon, from a worldly perspective, had everything that you could ever want. Wealth, money, women, possessions, fame, notoriety, notoriety. Wise? I mean, you would want to vote for him. Jesus said you can have all those things and gain the world, but lose your own what, church? And then he asked this question. It's, he already knows the answers to, answer to it, but sometimes he would... Instead of telling you the answer, he would cause you to think. He said, is anything worth more than your soul? So, 
How should we vote as Christians? What's the mechanism for how to do that? To cut the tension in the room for just a second. We live in a day and age where we have decided that whatever we think is true is what truth is, is what is true. When it comes to sex, whatever makes sense in our brain, we love this person, so it's okay to sleep with them. We decide it's okay. We live in a day and age where if we think that it makes sense on paper to us, what's right, or it makes sense to us, what's wrong, or it makes sense to us, what we should do, that's what we do. And and if we're not a believer, we're not a follower, and we don't subscribe to God's word, then we can make up any truth that we want to make. We can decide what we think is true. Well, that's, you hear things like this, well, that's your truth. This is what's true for me. And I do realize there are topics that even in Scripture we have to work out with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean we're afraid of God, but that we have this healthy reverence and respect for God, and we have to get down on our knees and do the hard work and make that decision based on God's wisdom. You all know what I'm talking about. You've had to make decisions before that there was no black and white answer, and you had to get down on your face, and you had to pray about it, and you had to seek God's plan and God's will, and everybody had an opinion about what you did or somebody else did, but at the end of the day, you had to wrestle that out with God. And politics is one of those topics that not even people in the church always agree on. But there's one thing as believers that we should agree on if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is that the Bible is the moral compass where absolute truth is found for followers of Jesus Christ. That's the truth this morning. I don't say that in a judgmental way. That is the truth. Politics, hot button topics, topics that no one cares about, topics that not that many people think about, marriage, relationships, conf- conflict, anything that you can think of. God's word has something to say about that. This is a different version of the same verse I was referring to. If you grew up around church, you've probably heard the term, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I've alluded to it a few times. This is a different version of that exact same statement. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Fear meaning respect, not scared, but a healthy fear like you do of your parents. When it comes to this election, it's easy to just say, I don't know, I don't care, I don't want to think about it. But if we're a believer and we understand that we are the salt and the light, we are still called to seek God for wisdom and direction voting according to his, his moral compass. The Bible says uh, there's a way that appears what, church? There's a way that appears right, and it leads to death. 
The Bible says that there are, there are people, there are trains of thought that feel and seem right. And they, they, they lead to death. Sometimes we think of love as just grace. Others of us think of love as just truth, and the reality is it's both. But this morning, if you're a parent and you just tell your child what they want to hear and you don't tell them the truth, is that really love? The Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. We were in staff meeting the other day and we were talking about this topic and one of the staff members said, you know, as we think about the election and really just any topic that you could even think of, God has already spoken in his word about what is right and what isn't right in in most cases. God, do you want me to sit next to that person at the table who's sitting by themselves at school? God, Do you want me to to serve God? Do you want me to give to your kingdom financially? God, do you want me to be faithful in my marriage to, to my spouse? God's already spoken on all those topics and a lot more. We think of things like sanctity of life, which is a hot button topic in our culture today. And the world and I say world, I just mean outside the church setting. The world's voice continues to get louder and louder, and the church's voice continues to get softer and softer. But the truth is this morning, we are called as believers. The Bible says if if we're ashamed of God, he will be ashamed of us. Truth is this morning that God has spoken, has already spoken about the sanctity of life. David says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together where, church? Now let me just say this today. If you've had an abortion, or you've asked someone to have an abortion, or you know somebody who's had an abortion, you need to know today that just like everybody else, Jesus died for you. Amen. He offers forgiveness through repentance. He loves you. He's not condemning you, and neither am I. But we also need to know what the truth is this morning. Thank you for making me so complex. Have you ever, like, thinking about God making us complex, have you ever thought how you can cut your hand and it, it just heals on its own. What math is there to do that? When I was a teenager, our youth group, it was actually this church, went on a mission trip to Denver, and we had one fun day. And we went up, and we were at Pikes Peak, and we were sitting on this mountaintop. And I remember it was the first time where, for myself, I knew that God was real. My faith became my own. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. 
you, you watched me as I was being formed in where, church? As I was woven together in the dark of the, of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. If we're filtering this topic through our own opinions, I can see how we can arrive at a different place. But if we are filtering this topic through the word of God, for followers of Christ, we understand upon the authority of Scripture that the unborn life is a life in the eyes of God. The sanctity of marriage, another hot-button topic. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into what, church? One. We've all been impacted by this topic. We all know people that deal with this topic. And just like the other topic that we were talking about, we also know that God loves every one of us. But for followers of Christ, we understand upon the authority of Scripture that same-sex marriage is not considered marriage in the eyes of God. Now, before everybody throws tomatoes at me, let's go to a topic that we all agree on. The use of our tongue. Not that we use it properly, but we all understand this. In the same way that, that we want to beat up certain topics and we justify that we're right. Y'all know somebody, to cut the tension for a second, y'all know somebody who because they believe whether they are or not, because they believe they're right, they can be as nasty as they want to be because they're right. They can say whatever they want to say. They can act however they want to act because they're right, and they end up being wrong, not because they're right, but they end up being wrong because they acted about the, how they acted about being right. Truth without grace is not love. Truth without grace is legalism. One of my favorite stories in Scripture, next to the resurrection story, is this story of this woman who's literally in the act of adultery. She is in the act of adultery. I don't know how people find out, but they find out this is happening. They know what the law is. And they also, at the same time, independent of what this woman is doing, they want to trip Jesus up. And they think they have this perfect scenario because he's talking about love and he's talking about grace. But we know what the law is. So they grab this lady. Maybe she's got a sheet on. Maybe she doesn't. They throw her at Jesus' feet. This woman is ashamed. Is ashamed. She's embarrassed. She's sitting there in front of Jesus and all these accusers of her. And they say to her, hey, don't you know what the law is? The law says that we should stone her. And we're not talking about for medicinal purposes. We're talking about with a rock until she passes away. 
You know that law, don't you, Jesus? Yeah, I'm aware of that. Tell you what. Maybe you didn't commit the same act that this person did. But you're guilty of some just as well. You, and this is what he's thinking. He didn't say this. He's thinking this. You without sin, you go first. You bat lead off. If you've never sinned, if you've never gotten it wrong, if you've never had a transgression according to your law, you go first. I don't know if the woman could hear or see, but, you know, them dropping the rocks. I don't know how close she was, but I'm assuming if at anything she could hear, depending on how big the rocks are, she could maybe hear those rocks hitting the dirt because people had sinned. And at some point, it's just Jesus and, and this woman. At some point, he says, woman, where, where are your accusers? We're all that woman. We are all that woman. But Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he also doesn't let her off the hook. See, love has grace and it has truth. It's not just grace. You're not, you're not teaching your children things if all you're doing is affirming them in every decision they make. That's not love according to the Bible. That's called being spoiled. But truth without grace doesn't communicate love either. We've all been guilty of both of those. But he looks at her and he says, they're not here. Go, Grace. Get up, Grace. And sin no more. Truth. When it comes to our tongue, Maybe we're right, so we think our tongue doesn't need a bridle. But listen to what James 1.26 says. If you claim to be religious, let's finish it together, but don't control your tongue. We're not excited about reading this. Let's, let's get a little louder. You ready? Let's try it again. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion. I don't know, because Jesus would always preach in parables, and he would always you know, preach according to the day, and obviously Jesus didn't say this. This is in the book of James. But in today's era, it might say, if you claim to be religious but don't control your posts, <laughs> texts, and tongue, Not what you think, but according to Scripture, it says your religion doesn't hold any weight. It's worthless. But 
being right isn't the only thing that God's concerned about. Being right is important, but how we handle being right is also important. Amen? Micah says, the Lord has told you what is good. How do we know what is good? This is what he requires of you when it comes to, doing good, to being good. What he requires of you. He says, to do what is right. What is right? There are some things in life that there's no easy answer. And there's going to be people look at you. And if you choose this way, there'll be a people that say you did it wrong. And if you choose this way, then another group of people will say you were wrong. The reality is to do good is to look at Jesus and him to say, I'm pleased with you. And the only way sometimes for that to happen is to work that salvation out through fear and trembling, which means that we are, we are deeply concerned, sometimes even fasting about what God wants us to do. And a part of that is to, to doing good is to vote. To vote for Christian principles. To vote. To pray about what God would have you to do. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. What does that mean? Philippians, it says, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Kingdom eyes see that politics shouldn't be filtered through the elephant or donkey, donkey, but through the Lamb of God. This morning, may I remind the church today that we are the church and we are kingdom people first. We are kingdom people first. Say that with me. We are kingdom people first. Any of you seen those Jesus 2020 signs around town? Amen. So this morning, as we wrap this up today, I wonder this morning if there's some things that maybe God wants to speak to us about that we haven't been seeing through kingdom eyes, maybe through our eyes. Maybe there's some of us today that God's challenging us to be careful what we post to be careful what we say. And for some of us this morning, maybe we just need to be reminded that we don't have to be filled with fear dependent upon the outcome of an election because we serve a God that is greater and bigger than any election. Let's stand together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for who you are. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that we're called according to your purposes. We thank you, Father, and we pray that your will be accomplished in this election. And Father, I pray that our more than whoever wins this election, I pray, Lord, that we would be concerned about our soul and the souls of other people, that we would be about loving you and loving our neighbor, and that we would live our lives to please you and not someone else. And Father, you truly are great. You are our great God.
And Father, we give you praise and glory for who you are. Father, we lift up our country. We lift up our world. We pray, Lord, for unity. We pray, Lord, more than anything for revival. Not a scheduled revival on a calendar, but a revival in our souls and in our hearts that there would be this coming back to you. Father, we give you praise and glory for who you are. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.